0: No
1: one. Hello, Gator Nation, and welcome into the latest edition of Locked On Gators, your team every day. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, staff writer for The Lake City Reporter. What's up, Florida fans? Welcome into the latest edition of Locked on Gators. On today's show, we will be joined by Cassidy Hill from GatorBait Magazine to get her thoughts on Florida's season thus far. We'll have a lot of quarterback discussions about Kyle Trask, Emory Jones, and Felipe Franks, and she'll break down her piece comparing Dan Mullen's usage of Emory Jones and Kyle Trask to Chris Leak and Tim Tebow, and I'll also get Cassidy's thoughts on the Florida basketball team and their struggles to start the season. Here is my conversation with Cassidy this week. We're now joined by Cassie Hill from Gator Bait Magazine. I was able to uh, get by Paul Feinbaum to uh, get a slot with her for this week. Oh, stop.
0: Cassie, welcome
1: into uh, the podcast. How are you doing?
0: Thanks, Zach, for having me on. I'm good. How
1: are you? I'm doing well. I'm enjoying the bye week. We just know, heard from nice. the... Uh, The coaches and the players and I think they're enjoying the bye week as well
0: that rare third bye week I don't know what to do with myself
1: yeah I have all this time (laughs) well and and obviously last week the Gators uh, took care of business ended the the losing streak to Missouri got themselves to nine wins six Mm -hmm. and two in SEC play they finished the year with what are your thoughts on this season overall what Dan Mullen has been able to do in year two and kind of what they've set themselves up here having a chance to finish with ten wins
0: I think that the high a lot of us got on after the Auburn win it means that sitting here right now it seems a little bit disappointing with two losses and no chance to go to Atlanta. But when you think about how we were looking at this season back in August or back in July, nine wins already, six and two in SEC play, a chance for a 10-win regular season and 11-win season overall, depending on how the bowl game goes. I think nobody would say no to that. No. Especially in Dan Mullen's second year. Um Another top ten win against Auburn. I know that, as according to the playoff committee, that's their only good win. Um, but I think when you look back at a lot of these different games, Missouri has always been Florida's kryptonite. Mm-hmm. And so I would count that as a good win.
1: South Carolina was coming off the win over South Georgia. South
0: Carolina now looks like a bad win, but at the time was a really good win, especially to do it in a tropical storm. And as strange as it sounds, Florida's best game was a loss to LSU. Yeah. And they showed in that loss to LSU and they showed in the win against Auburn and against South Carolina and against Missouri as well that they can play against anybody. Um, I don't know what next year is going to look like because Florida's losing a lot of pieces this year. Yes, they are. You know, we just talked to a lot of these seniors and usually on senior day it's a a good crop of – it's a good number, but no offense, but half of them are walk-ons that you don't know – this year, this is a lot of big seniors no that doubt. they're losing, um, and I know that because it was such a senior laden team, they wanted more. They wanted a championship, of course they did, but to get a ten, it hasn't happened yet. But to get a chance for a ten win regular season in Dan Mullen's second year here, with a bunch of players that had a four and eight season the year before last, night, nobody would say no to that. And so, of course not. Overall, the the advancements we've seen, the offense made. Um, the changes that the defense has made the past two to three weeks, I think uh, it's been a pretty good year for Florida football.
1: No doubt. And obviously Kyle Trask has been the story of the season, yes. one of them, um, <laughs> with what he's been able to do. But it hasn't just been a one-man show. We've seen Emery mm-hmm. Jones, too. And you wrote a great piece on Gatorbate this past week about how Damone has not only been able to use mm-hmm. them, but also kind of how that compares to the way that he mm-hmm. played Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. And, and I, I think that that's kind of what people expected Mm -hmm. and maybe even hoped for once Felipe Franks went down, that that that's the system that he would use. And and so far we've continued to see both of those guys in in pretty much every game.
0: Exactly. And that was sort of the crux of the story and the crux of the piece was that when Felipe did go down and it did become Kyle and Emery, you heard a lot of fans saying, I want to see that two quarterback system, the way that Mullen used Leak and Tebow. And every time after every game, and I know Twitter is just a small little piece of the entire fan base, but you get on Twitter, you get on the message boards, you you get on Steve Russell's show, the postgame, yeah. and it's like, why is Mullen not using them the way he used Leak and Tebow? And as some people have said, that's not necessarily a fair comparison because of how different Leak and Tebow Correct. are to Trask and Emery. But I felt it was a fair look because Mullen himself made that comparison several times. He said that to the so players. He so, told the players yes. that. After Felipe went down, Mullen brought Kyle Trask and Emory Jones into his office that next week and said, this is how I used Leak and Tebow. This is who I want y'all to be. So, therefore, I felt like it was a pretty fair comparison. And after going back through, I went through every offensive play, of the 2006 season and every offensive play so far of the 2019 season, just to see how he did use them. Um, Statistically, Tebow did run a little bit more, but compared to the amount of plays that Emory has had, compared to what Tebow's had, he's actually used them about the same amount. And he's used them in much the same way. I think overall by the end of the 2006 season, uh, Tebow had run 18% of Florida's offensive plays. And to this point, uh, Emory has run 15%. And so those numbers, when you look at – when you're getting into the several hundreds, those numbers is a difference of, you know, maybe 100 snaps. But overall, 15% of uh, Florida's offensive plays so far this season with two more games to go is not a bad usage of Emory. Um, And he used him in much – he's used him in much the same way that he used Tebow. you know, we remember the jump pass. We remember uh, different – Times where he came in on the one yard line and ran it in. And we just remember those specific plays and think that the entire 2006 season was made up of plays like that. And it wasn't. It was a lot of Chris Leak running two snaps, pulling him out, putting Tebow in on a second and seven in, on the 40 yard line, yep. letting him run one play to pick up four yards, and then putting Chris Leak back in. It was a lot of plays like that. And it was pretty consistent. There were some games where Tebow didn't even go in until the fourth quarter. Yep. And that's much the same way that he has used Emory this year. Some games, the plays for Emory are scripted. Some games, the plays for Emory are a little bit more by feel. And as I was just talking to Jackie Julie about this before we came out here, she looked at it as well and said, I think the plays for Emory have been much more productive when they're scripted. So maybe we see that more these last two games, especially now that he did go in against Vanderbilt and Missouri and, and show what he can do. He had that great play in Missouri um, – where he threw a 41 or 46-yard pass, I yeah, think, to Kadarius Tony. Toney. It was so funny because the the narrative around Emory and Kadarius is that they only run. Yeah. And so for Emory to go out there and throw a 46-yard pass to Kadarius Tony, and it was a beautiful pass, it was a beautiful catch, um, I think that's going to make a lot of defenses go, well, crap, now we have to plan for that too, which was probably his intention. So all of that to say we can gripe, we can complain, we can look at it, but Mullen is using Trask and Emory in much the same way that he did use Leak and Tebow, and yes, Tebow's a different player than Emory, so that may not be a fair comparison. But the fact of the matter is they both still play quarterback. They're both still in an offensive, a Dan Mullen offensive system, and so I think it's a fair comparison.
1: We're speaking with Cassie Hill from Gatorbate Magazine. It's the bye week, mm-hmm. and I know that the Florida players and coaches aren't looking ahead to next season and next spring. But we can.
0: We can. We have that luxury. Because it's
1: the bye week, and we're talking about quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And this is the elephant in the room Mm -hmm. for the spring of 2020, which is what the heck is going to be going on for the Gators with the quarterback competition. What do you foresee? And not necessarily who's going to (laughs) start. I'm not asking you to name one now. But do you think that it's going to be three guys competing for that job in the spring? How do you think Felipe – Is going to try and you know work himself back into this if he chooses to go that route and is it just crazy that we're even having this conversation where you know there's i said this earlier on my podcast that felipe is in the spot where he went from established starter in his second year with that role to now people questioning whether or not he can come back and either win Take his it job
0: from or two,
1: whether he even wants to whether right. he would just say you know what I think I need to go somewhere else um, and then on top of that there's the whole Emory Jones which mm-hmm. we just talked about and him wanting to certainly get more playing time and and keep him happy and feel like he's developing and, and not certainly get to the point where the transfer portal is on his mind so with all that being said what, what do you think Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson are going to have to do to try to navigate this once the season ends?
0: I think they wait till the last possible second to name a starter, for starters. And I don't think it necessarily becomes a three-person competition. I think one of those guys bows out. And before spring? No, after spring. Sure. Sorry, I, yeah, before fall. I think one of them bows out during the summer. Um, Felipe's not going to be ready for spring ball, no matter what. He can come out and he can walk through it, but he can't take kids. He can't run. He can't pivot and plant and stuff like that. I don't think he'll be ready for that by then. He is walking. He was walking around today without his cast, um, so that's a positive sign. But he's not football ready, and I don't think he will be by middle of March. And so I think does that he, hurt him then,
1: because he can't come back and show in spring that hey, Trask and Emery, you guys did good, but this is my job again.
0: Very possibly, especially because. If it had been later in the season when he had gotten hurt, he might could have had more time in the spring to heal. It, like, he logistically would have had more time in the He would have had to have waited longer in the spring. But also because he would have shown a little bit more that he could do w- within this offense in the second year. Um, but this has been Kyle Trask's season. Yeah. And he's shown what he can do. The biggest difference, though, is that next year, this team is not going to have all these receivers. Because Felipe and Emory are better quarterbacks for a typical Dan Mullen system. And this particular year, 2019 season, Kyle Trask is the best quarterback for this team because it's an embarrassment of riches at the receiver unit. And that's not going to be the case next year. So you're going to need a quarterback that can run a little bit more. Um, Great point. And so it might be more of Emory's year, but Kyle Trask has done everything he can this year to prove that this should be
1: his job. And I think he – whether – Felipe is willing to accept this role, and Emory is willing to accept this role. I think Kyle would continue to accept a role in 2020 where he's coming off the field for somebody else to come on.
0: Yes, I think Kyle Tresk will stay no matter what, unless somebody gets in his ear and convinces him to go to the NFL. But I don't think that'll no, happen.
1: No, I don't. Um,
0: he's, he's got a good bit of tape this year, but it's his only year of tape. Yeah. And he needs in another – A Cardell one. Jones type situation. Exactly, and, and I don't think he's ready for that um, – and I don't think anything he's done to this point would indicate that he'll leave early, I, I think. It, or that he'll
1: leave for another school.
0: Or that he'll leave for another school, right. And it's not even, um, you know, just because he feels like he has enough experience, but I just think he sees things through. Sure. And, and that's just his attitude, and so I don't see him leaving, um, I don't see him leaving for another school or for the NFL yet. Emory might, depending on how spring goes. But, again, like I said, next year is a year that's going to be more suited for someone like Emory. Yeah. So next year might seriously become more of a two-quarterback system if they do both stay. Felipe, I see staying around through spring, he might he might stay. You know, if if Kyle or Emory have a bad spring or if one of them gets hurt, then sure. they'll want Felipe to still be here, um, which is why I think Mullen will wait as long as he can to name a starter. Uh, but if they both have a good spring, I could see Felipe transferring in the summer. And I think if he does, it'll be one of those situations, kind of like Jalen Hurts at Alabama, where it was, you know, you've you've given everything. Thank you for all that you have done. Um, we wish you nothing but the best. And those situations, kind of like Mullen said today, with Nick Sprouls, is what the transfer portal is for. Yeah. You know, it's a guy that's given his all. It's just time to move on. And, and Felipe's done that. And so if he does choose to leave next summer, I'd I don't think anybody will be shocked. It might be a little sad, but nobody will be hurt. It won't be a bad situation. It'll just be time to hand over the reins to someone else.
1: Definitely. Now, before Ford crosses that bridge, they got to end this season. Mm-hmm. Got to get the win at home over FSU, uh, because as, as much as it felt good to win in Tallahassee last year, that winning streak for the Seminoles was still going on uh, mm-hmm. when they came to the Swamp last time, and they were able to get a win in, uh, with Randy Shannon as an interim <laughs> coach. So it was a, a, a blast from the past if Florida can get the win and, and close things out, what do you think of their bowl prospects? And obviously oh. a lot has to play out. Yeah. And, you know, But do you think regardless of where they go, having a 10-win season with the possibility to get 11 wins with the bowl game, what that's going to do to carry them into the off-season? especially if they can get a win, help with recruiting, mm-hmm. all those things that you need to do coming off of a football season?
0: As far as your question about the bowl scenario, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. It's a crapshoot.
1: Where are you hoping for?
0: Oh, the Sugar Bowl
1: for sure. Oh, gosh, I want—I I kind of want the Orange Bowl. I've never been. I've been, to, you know, I've been to New Orleans.
0: Maybe it's because I have, like, I have been to the Sugar Bowl and I've never been to the Orange Bowl. But the Sugar Bowl is such a good bowl game. One, you're in New Orleans, yep. <laughs> so it's always fun. Um, and it's so well run. It's, it's just top notch. I've been to a few different bowl games, and none of them have been better run than the Sugar Bowl. It's just it's an ease to work. Sure. And so, selfishly, I want the Sugar Bowl. And it's close to home. It means I get to spend more time with my family at Christmas. Um,
1: I know, Trust me, I won't be mad about that destination. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, I have heard a lot of the Orange Bowl. The Cotton Bowl is still a pretty good possibility. I wouldn't want that. Yeah, it's <laughs> still a decent chance. A lot of it will depend on uh, Penn State and Ohio State, who I think play this weekend. So Florida's bowl chances, we might have a much better idea after this weekend of what's going to happen. Until then, just write them all on a piece of paper, throw it up in the air, and grab one out. That's that's about as good a way as you can to figure it out. Every possible, every game gives you eight new scenarios. And so you there's – you do the – I don't want to do the math, but that means there's like 60-something still possi- different scenarios. There's not that many bowl games, but you know what I mean.
1: Now, regardless um, of where they play, if they get to 11 wins, how do you think that mm-hmm. helps continue to maybe change the narrative of what people think about Florida uh, and where this program is at, how it ranks among the elite, and, and maybe definitely how recruits kind of view where things are at after two years with Dan Mullen?
0: I think 11 wins, they – get uh, labeled as a contender for sure they get labeled as a contender for next year's playoffs Um, the youth of next year's team is going to make it a little bit more difficult but they'll have proved that they can do it they'll have proved that they can go toe-to-toe with different teams that they can win in different styles they can win a 24-21 drudge match against miami or they can win a 56 nothing shootout or shutout against vandy And so they've proven they can do different things. They've proven that they can adapt to Dan Mullen's style, that Dan Mullen can adapt to his players. And when you are at a school like Florida, it carries a lot of name weight. Some of that has lost its luster over the past few years. But I think the last two years have really given it back. Um, You've got a good class coming in. I think it's currently a top 10 class, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Another 11-win season will only help it because – Florida's one of these schools, and I don't think this is biased saying this. I think it's just from, you know, doing recruiting here and there, what you listen to these kids say. Florida kids want to go to Florida schools, but they also want to go to schools that are good, that are good and <laughs> contenders. And right now, Florida's the school in the state of Florida that's good. Mm-hmm. And they, they yeah, FSU was good when Jameis was there. Um, but... It's been a while since they've had a legit contender in the state of Florida that they can look at and say, hey. not Miami. Yeah, exactly. That they can say, hey, mama, I'm going to stay close to home and still win and have a good opportunity to get to the NFL. And so an 11-win season, possibly top 10 ranking at the end of the season for two years in a row. Well, I mean, last year was a 10-win season. But but top 10 ranking for two years in a row. um, We could see – I don't want to say a late surge that's going to make it top five or anything, but we could see them pick up one or two extras closer to signing day that really kind of uh, bump this recruiting class up and and keep this thing rolling.
1: Yeah, and and I think, too, not only do you just sort of have a chance to win, go from 10 wins to 11, but now you go from three losses to two, and the losses that you Mm -hmm. have are to two top
0: Five teams, five teams, exactly. And, or, or two, playoff
1: two teams. Two teams that could be in the
0: playoffs.
1: As opposed to well, 2018, yes. <laughs> but as opposed to 2018 when it was Missouri and Kentucky that you lost to.
0: Exactly.
1: So I think that, you know, that changes also not just the recruiting perspective, but the national perspective mm-hmm. of how people view Florida. So I think the national perspective on this Florida basketball team is not so good right yeah, now. I want to get your thoughts on that before we let you go what have you thought of the start to this season for Mike White's team? The pressure now that he's already facing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think these players can even get on Twitter.
0: No. I think the worst thing that has happened to this team is that they were ranked six in the (laughs) preseason. Yeah, I agree. Because there were so many expectations. And when we talked to Mike White before the season started and we brought up that preseason ranking, you could almost see him like just be like, no, 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 please, please, please don't talk about it, please don't talk about it. Because he didn't want his players to think about it. Yeah. Well, they did. And they admitted as such. And he said yesterday that on the way to Charleston was going to be the first time he really addressed it with them. And you might say, why has he not talked to them about it already? I think his philosophy, even though it's proven not to work, was a good one in theory. You know, just don't bring it up. Don't put those expectations on their shoulders from me. Um, But they heard it from the outside and they heard it all over Twitter. And And then, like you said, they saw it themselves. And like you said, now they can't get on Twitter. This is a young team. I don't think Mike White needs to be fired, at least not right now. I, I, I don't think he needs to be fired, period, this year. Um, I think he's a really good coach. I think he really knows what he's talking about. And I, I think he's had just hit, like, maybe it may only be one or two hits injury-wise or who he loses every year he's been here, but they've been crucial hits. Mm-hmm. and. This year, he has really, really good players, but Zach, they're freshmen yeah. and a grad transfer. He's got, I think you said, nine new yeah,
1: pieces. Nine new, nine new faces.
0: And at one point during the exhibition game, the five people on the floor were four freshmen in the grad transfer. So it was it was five on the court that were not even here last and year. And how
1: frustrating does that have to be for Kerry Blackshear? Not mm-hmm. only is he trying to figure out how to play with a new team, figure mm-hmm. out the offense, figure out Coach White's coaching style, oh, by the way, play with four freshmen. Exactly, i got to teach
0: a bunch of kids. Yeah. And he is teaching them. He, You watch him on the court when he's on the court with freshmen, he's he's talking to them, and he's got a great attitude but about that's part it. Of but of why they look, be,
1: that's part of why they look the way they look, though. They
0: don't look like they've got anything together, and it's because they're still getting stuff together. Mike White has said he has not put in all of the sets yet. And I know as a fan, that's frustrating to sit there and go, and we're running the same three offensive sets over and over, and they're not working but he's, he's trying to ease it in so that he's not bombarding a bunch of freshmen of and overwhelming them to where they forget everything. He's trying to teach it to them bit by bit, and that, that style may change. Um, he may have to just say, bump that, let's start over, and I'm teaching you everything. Um, but they're only four games in. Of course. We've, Kentucky's not doing too hot right now either. You know why? Because they're a young team as well. And I, I know it's frustrating – Um, especially after not having gone as far in the tournament as Florida fans would have wanted to the past couple of years. And so the expectations are high not only on this team this year, but they're high on Mike – Or the expectations aren't high on Mike White, but the pressure is high on Mike White. And when you have high expectations that have already crumbled and um, intense pressure that's only getting worse, it makes it seem like we're halfway through the season – well, and it's all falling apart, but we're only four games in. Yes. I think the talent on this team is incredible. When we were able to watch them at preseason practice and offseason practice, you can see when they're on the floor and they're just when they play loose, they've got all the pieces there to be good. but they're they're still figuring out how to get into the college game, how to deal with competition. to competition, how to adjust to the pace, to the speed. I think they'll get there. It's just going to take a lot of growing pains. And I think we'll look back. at If if this is how they look in February, then we have a problem. Yes, and
1: and I I think people are going to be putting pressure on Mike White, deservedly so, but not in November. Right.
0: But like I said, if they look this way in February, we have a problem. But I think in February, we're going to be looking back at these November conversations and going, man, we really should have kept our mouth shut.
1: Yeah, well, we'll see how it plays out. You'll be there along the way to write about all of it for Gator yep. Magazine. Let everybody know where they can follow you on Twitter and also listen to you on Bomb.
0: <laughs> I know, I'm just becoming regular. No, it's only been twice. Um, at Twitter, it's at Cassidy G. Heel Cassidy with a K, because my mom had to be different. And online, it's at GatorBaitMedia.com.
1: All right, go check her out. Cassidy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Zach. Appreciate Cassie for her time and perspective, and that'll do it for the latest edition of Locked on Gators. On tomorrow's show, we'll discuss what the Florida players and coaches had to say when they met with the media this week about taking advantage of the bye and getting ready for the FSU game and what will be a senior day for a lot of these players. Make sure you stay tuned to Locked on Gators, your team every day.